All right, so today's reading is from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed is, is coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Things set up here for a second. Good morning. I think I know most everyone, but for those of you that don't know me, I'm Jim Phillips. I'm one of the elders here, been an elder since uh, April of 21. It's a tremendous pleasure to be here and to be able to present to you this message of what God has put on my heart. Uh, It's my one opportunity to do this, so I have a lot on my heart to present. And I I have, it's probably going to be like what would normally be an extended series that I'm going to kind of pack it all into one message right here this morning. And so think of it as getting three messages for one. So here's what, I, what we're going to do. I'm going to start with a brief exposition of the scripture we read and explain that we are now living in these last days and that we will live out all of our time that we have during the last days. Then we'll look at the scriptural answer, which we saw, of how are we to live in these last days and then go into the real meat of this discourse, which is um, ways to actually, how do we live? What can we do to to live that way that God's called us to live? I'll show you that the Lord Jesus has already accomplished much of what you need to do, and that you simply need to believe in your position in Christ and what he's done for you. And then we'll tackle the issue of sin, and we'll talk a little bit about different sin, and then um, 
look at how to put that sin to death, to mortify it. And then in the final message, uh, which will be the shortest, uh, but hopefully interesting enough to keep you awake by that time, during all of this time that I'm going to spend up here, is to how to live holy and godly lives. As we saw in our scripture, that it was the first thing that we're called to do in how we are to live in these last days, to live a holy and godly lives. And then we'll look at how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we'll examine who is the Holy Spirit, and what can he do for us, and then how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit. So mini-sermon message one, how are we to live in these last days? Are we living in these last days? What does it matter how we're supposed to live in these last days unless we're actually living in those? And in Scripture, Hebrews 1 and Acts 2, um, we are clearly told that we are living in the midst of these last days. So we've got some highlights up there. I'll read it. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. And then in Acts 2, in these last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. So, from these scriptures, we're told that the last days began during Jesus' teaching and that when the Spirit is given to all people, and Acts 2.17 records the prophecy of Joel and in chapter 2 of Joel, And there we are told that the last days, the pouring out of the Spirit will be on all people. As revealed, this is specifically revealed in Luke 24, 49. And that started on the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 people were brought to Christ. In our primary scripture, we are told in verse 10 that the day of the Lord marks the end of these last days because, well, at the end, everything is going to be burned up. So yes, we are living in the last days. They began when Jesus began to teach and we have been waiting for his turn and until he returns or we are taken up, we are living in the last days. So consider, how are you living now? Like it's the last day before you are taken up in the rapture? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all feel that we are living in the way that would earn us the blessing from Christ that says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's something to strive for. Let's see how scripture tells us that we are to live in the last days. And we'll look at that again. The answer is in our primary text from Second Peter 3. Um, I've highlighted some of the specifics there in verse 11. What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to be you ought to live holy and godly lives. And from that, all things flow. The rest of the the details. Um, We are looking, in verse 13, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. In verse 14, make every effort to be found spotless, 
blameless and at peace with him. And then in verse 18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So these are, this is how we should live. This is what we should be doing to please the Lord. What if we don't live that way? In our primary scripture, verse 17 tells us to be on guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. And also in Matthew 24, um, at the end of the, uh, Jesus uh, explains the signs at the end of the age. And these in these last days, at the end of the chapter, Jesus explains what um, explains that we are to stay awake. Because we don't know when Jesus, the Master, will return. So the story in that uh, scripture, in Matthew 24, uh, 48 to 51, it tells of, well, the whole section tells of the good servant that stays awake and the evil, the wicked servant that is not ready. So about that wicked servant, we'll get the answer, what happens if we don't live the way we are supposed to in the last days. But suppose that that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at, the, at an hour that he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Pretty harsh. The simple answer is of um, what happens to those not living the way Peter described is that we will fall from our secure position and we will be cut to pieces and sent to a very bad place. We are to live holy and godly lives, looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, making every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him and growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, that first message wasn't too bad, was it? Everybody's still awake and with me. On to the next message, which is mini-sermon number two, how do we live holy and godly lives, and that is to obey everything Christ commanded. Let me start by determining if, we're, if I'm talking to those that can possibly be whole, live holy and godly lives, by a show of hands, who among you are believers in Christ? Very good. Number two, and last, among you who believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. All right. You can do this then. You can live holy and godly lives. Just takes faith and your dedication. I'm going to show you some ways that will help. If you answered yes to both those questions, oh, I already said that. If you're a believer, you have to believe that you have what you've already been given. You have to claim the truths of who you are in Christ and believe in them and count on them and just rest in them. First thing I'm going to bring out about obedience is some ways that we are to be obedient. And so uh, it should be drilled into our heads because we've heard it so many times 
that according to the great commandment, we are to love the Lord God and secondly, to love others. Uh, there are some, easy, some people that are easy to love and there are some people that are not so easy to love. Um, Jesus told us that we are to love the unlovely, like the Samaritan found beaten along the side of the road and the woman at the well. We must humble ourselves and start a relationship with anyone that comes into our path. We have to overlook those things about them that aren't appealing to us, make us uncomfortable or dislike them. Can you humble yourself and forgive your enemy? It's a funny thing how the ones we love the most, our spouses, our children, and our other family members, are the ones that we hurt and the ones that we are hurt by more than anyone else. It just doesn't seem right. I've been around a long time, and I've seen a lot of things. And I, can tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've seen couple relationships and parent-older-child relationships deeply damaged and hurt because of uh, their, their love has just grown cold and unreconciled. And in some cases over time, those involved grow indifferent. And then tragically, they give up. And they just blame each other or something else for the problem. What's the cause of this problem? I'm not qualified to answer that. But I can say, I believe, that the root cause for the hurt is often stems from our own critical nature. And it would be better if we were to just overlook and not judge. I feel a root problem of not apologizing and not forgiving is based in pride. We need to admit when we're wrong and simply forgive others like Christ did for us. For time's sake, I'm going to stop here about this topic, but it's worthy of much more presentation. So, like you can see, I'm moving fast and I'm going to cover a lot of things here. And I'm going to continue. Another topic of obedience is our idols. I'll speak just a moment about that. A big problem for us, I believe. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You can ski, you can golf, you can hike up mountains, you can fly your model airplanes, you can bike, paddle, anything you love to do, do it. But make sure that you put God first, and then others, especially your spouses and your loved ones, and then put yourself last. Sounds like a familiar scripture, doesn't it? He who is last will be first. Okay, I'm done with that. Next topic is sin, and I'm going to spend some time on that. I will simply state, to be holy and godly, we must be obedient. So far, so good. And to be obedient, we must not sin. I plan to prove this in Scripture, but it was going long, and so I hope you can just be comfortable with that statement. To be holy and godly, we must be obedient, and to be obedient, we must not sin. We are, each of us, in a war against sin, or we ought to be. There are battles to be fought each day, and the war won't be over until we either are raptured or breathe our last breath here on earth. 
Let's talk about how we defeat sin. To defeat sin, you first need to put your faith to work and know that you believe and know and believe who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, you have to believe that you have what you've already been given. You are to claim the truths of who you are in Christ. Believe them, count on them, rest in them. Can we be holy and godly if our sins are not forgiven? We are forgiven. Rest in that. We have to believe that we are forgiven. And then Ephesians 1, 7 and Colossians 2 tell us that clearly. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In Colossians 2, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Do you believe it? Amen. With our sin forgiven, can we be holy and godly if we, we, if we have a problem with our relationship with God? No. We need to have a right relationship with God. Well, according to Scripture, we do. From Romans 5, 10 yeah, uh, through 11, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, have we been saved through his life? Not only so, but we will also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Three times we're told that we are reconciled to God. Do you believe it? So, our sins are forgiven and we are reconciled to God. That is good news. Amen. Let's look at some of our sin. Let's think about the subject of sin for just a minute. There's different kinds of sin. There's the things that we don't do, but we should, the sins of omission. There's things that we do that we should not do. We should be familiar with that. And don't forget the sins committed in our thoughts, that, um, like covetousness, lust, anger, fear. Fear is a sin that I struggle with. Hatred, and the list goes on, and it's different for different people. I felt we should bring to mind the sin related to our selfish behavior. You are, and I am, directly blocking the way. We are the roadblock in the way of how we should behave according to Christ. I believe this is to be the number one problem in living a holy and godly lives. Try to think about all the ways that we put ourselves first in this little discourse here. Um, that's how we started out, being selfish. And we had to learn to share and to think of others. Uh, some of that selfish behavior has been with us so long, it, we don't even recognize it. So hopefully you can learn to recognize it. Uh, let's see. Let's talk about some of these things. Let's see. There's uh, self-righteousness. 
that was a big problem for me and I didn't see it for a long time. But I've managed to knock it down and I am managing it better. I have caused resentment in my three sons because of it and in other relationships too. What makes us, what makes us feel we have to be right and the other person wrong? How do you think that makes the Holy Spirit feel? That's something you need to think about. How does whatever we're doing or thinking make the Holy Spirit feel? And unless you're feeling self-righteous right now, I think you'll get the answer right. The fact is, feeling and acting out of self-righteousness causes the Holy Spirit to grieve. Uh, Then there's self-confidence, and that can be a very good thing, something that we need to have, but it is, uh, can be overwhelming, and for me it was something that I was able to defeat early in my Christian walk, where I would put the weight of my new marriage, my new relationship, my family on the, my shoulders. I felt I had to take care of everything. I was so burdened. It wore me out. I was a wreck. But then I learned that I just give everything over to God, let him take care of it, and he does it gave me great relief. Um, self-pity, the person that mopes and says, oh, woe is me. Our Lord does not want us to feel that way. It's not good. Self-admiration, some synonyms. Self-conceit, self-love, vanity. It's awfully easy not to love those people, isn't it? Well, get over it. We need to love them and we need to not be that way. Self-indulgence, the habit of undue gratification of one's own passions, desires, or tastes. The effects need to be considered on our health and on our loved ones, and there needs to be a balance regarding our self-indulgence against self-constraint and self-denial. And then I'll end with self-aggrandizement. I got that out of a book and I had to look it up. The act of or practice of enhancing or exaggerating one's own importance, power, or reputation. This includes the sin of pride. It would be much better for us if we, instead of serving ourselves, served God and others as naturally as we serve ourselves. For the sake of brevity, and so that I don't completely wear you out in our sin, I'm just going to end there. So we've identified our sin, and how how can we put this sin to death? That's a big one. Everyone wants to know how to overcome their sin. Amen? Amen. I'll show you some techniques and give you some help there, I hope, with the Lord's help. Here's a little secret for you to try. Train yourself to constantly consider what the Holy Spirit is thinking in all that you do and say. And then make it work it out right. As we speak of during communion, we must examine ourselves and employ the power of the Holy Spirit to identify the sin that we must mortify or put to death. We have the power to overcome sin. More on that later. Let's look at some of the tools to help us harness that power.
Here's some tools you might use and preparations you can take. To overcome our sin, we first need, as I mentioned, need to recognize that sin. Um, for us married folks, our spouse can probably help, right? Yeah, it's true. Um, uh, identify our, identifying our sin is something we need to go to prayer about. And all of this is committed all to prayer. And if you're like me, you should be able to identify a number of different sins. We'll never be able to overcome our sin unless we repent. So, repent. I'll say here that to repent is to invoke a profound change of mind. That is, we'll never be able to overcome our sin unless we really turn against it. We change our minds and fight it. We learn to hate it. Hate the sin. God loves, but he hates sin, and we should too. We should determine to correct it. Take that sin to battle. Let the enemy know that we have God on our side. It is said that it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. So let's get at it, get nasty, get mean, beat that sin down. You need to pray and pray more and pray harder for God to help you and that he would be kept in the forefront of your minds. And there is, in that way, there's no room for sin and God together. Activate whatever steps you can to prevent the sin. Here's some tools to use. Get an accountability partner. That's not something that is common, but it is powerful tool and promise yourself that in your heart that you will tell the truth about your failures about your struggles and about your successes and believe me when you you will not want to go to your accountability partner and tell of your failures it'll help you defer your sin another thing you can do is possibly depending on the sin is set up parental controls on your computer Another is it's obvious that we need to avoid situations that tempt us. Stay away from those things that tempt you. Here's what I did. It was a very brave step for me. And I, what I did is I vowed to stop any fantasy in my mind that took me into the wrong place. Stop it as soon as I got it. And... Um, but you, and you're going to want to pray about that, but be careful about making any vow to God because if you break a vow to God, you could be in trouble. Make the vow to yourself and ask God to help you. He will. It helped me a lot. Um, at any point in time, random thoughts pop into our minds, some good, some bad. Weed out those bad thoughts. And um, we're going to look at uh, some scripture here in 1 John chapter 4 and a couple other scriptures. Uh, these are some scriptures that I've memorized and they've helped me tremendously when I bring these scriptures to mind to avoid and to beat that sin. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. 
You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Anything evil that comes into your mind. Because the spirit in you is greater than the spirit in the world. Immediately when a thought of disobedience comes into mind, do what Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Take those thoughts captive. Stop them. Capture that thought. Don't go on with it. And remember this verse, which is the first verse that I memorized um, in helping me defeat sin, from 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will, prov- he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. God says he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. You've got to believe it. And he will provide a way out. Look for that way out. You'll find it. You'll know what it is. You just have to take it. And then use the discipline to do that. Take that way out. You must believe Uh, These are all tools that I would say follow Jesus' powerful advice from um, Matthew, twice in Matthew, once in Matthew 5 and again in Matthew 18. Matthew 5.30 and Matthew 18.8, almost identical. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. Do whatever you need to do to defeat that sin. Okay, I told you you had the power to overcome sin. Here's the kicker. You do. From Romans 6 and uh, two verses in Romans 6 and in Galatians 5. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And then in the same chapter, a wonderful chapter of the Bible. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And in Galatians 5.24 Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we are dead to sin. Our flesh is crucified. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. We are called to be obedient to the Lord Jesus. We must believe the truths of the Bible. We must believe we can overcome. We have to really decide that our sin has to go, has to stop. We have to go to battle against it. We have to take whatever extreme measures that it can take to defeat our sin, and you will be victorious. You will be overcomers. Okay, that was the second message. The next one is going to be shorter, okay? Mini-sermon number three. How do we live holy and godly lives? 
be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's lay, I just want to lay a little groundwork here. Um, much of this, I don't know what's making that noise. It's me. Um, you'll probably be familiar with a lot of this, and, but I'd like to just go through it, and it'll only take a minute. Who, not what, is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a person. Think of the Holy Spirit as a person existing in spirit. Here's a section from the Nicene Creed about the Holy Spirit. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord. The Holy Ghost, the Lord. And giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. So it says that the Holy Ghost is the Lord and giver of life. It also says, who proceedeth, uh, the Holy Spirit is the Lord and the giver of life, and so who is a person, right? We are told in Psalm 139.7 that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. And in Hebrews 9.14, um, so it says there, we can, we can, where can I go from your spirit? Omnipresence. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? In Hebrews 9.14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. So the Holy Spirit is a spirit, a person, who comes from the Father and the Son, is a giver of life, omnipresent, eternal, who... He who has the Spirit has the Lord Jesus Christ. That is from Romans 8. Um, the Holy Spirit is awesome, and I want to be filled with him. I hope you feel the same way. The Father promised the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon all flesh, like we saw early on in the first message. I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, is what the Lord said and recorded by Joel in the Old Testament. This happened, as mentioned before, on the day of Pentecost, except you weren't there at Pentecost. So ask yourself, just to be sure we got this clear, when did I receive the Holy Spirit? Well, one place that that's defined detailed clearly for us is in 1 Corinthians 12. You know, that's the chapter about the spiritual gifts. And if you're a member of the church or have you probably have received teaching about uh, what that you received at least one spiritual gift at the time that you were that you believed or that you were born of the spirit. Uh, and you probably did an exercise to determine what they were. So yes, we were given the Holy Spirit at our conversion. And this is most clearly revealed in Scripture, just to show it quickly, in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, and 1 Corinthians 12. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit at that time. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, the church. 
whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given this one spirit to drink. Okay, so we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Let's see how the Holy Spirit can affect us. What will it do for us? Our faith is powered. So we're going to look at scriptures in 1 Corinthians 2 and um, Ephesians 1.17. And this is just a smattering. That's a word I use. I don't know if it's a real word. Of the effects of the Holy Spirit on us. Our faith is powered by God through the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.4 My message and my preaching, Paul speaking here, were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And the prophet Isaiah asks, Who can know the mind of the Lord? And Paul answers that in 1 Corinthians. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. If we have the Holy Spirit within us, and the Holy Spirit proceeds from God and the Father and God the Son, then we have them that we can access. Um, and then it's an amazing truth that we have that in the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a source of wisdom and revelations from Ephesians 1.17. And this is Paul praying, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. You want to know? Do you want to have wisdom and revelation? I do. In John 16, 8, Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. And then in some other scriptures, the Holy Spirit is vexed by sin and rebellion. And if the Spirit is vexed by sin and rebellion, then so is the Father and the Son. I don't want to vex the Father and the Son. And that the Spirit is at rest when sin is dealt with. I want to deal with my sin so that I can put the Spirit to rest. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is God. And he is the Lord Jesus Christ. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's been that way ever since your conversion. In the book of Acts, we see that the Spirit played a critical role in the beginning stages of the church. And in, in the epistles, we see how the Holy Spirit played a critical role in our development in Christ, in our relationship. So, getting close here, let me just help you understand, understand the filling, the filling of this Holy Spirit. If we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can do these amazing things for us, why don't we feel more of its power? In dealing with this subject, I lean heavily on Scripture, like I have been, but also on teaching that I've received and put to, into practice, and also on my own experience 
including the direct input that I received from the Holy Spirit in abundance during these past two weeks of preparing this. Thank you, Father. For starters, we'll look at Paul's letters to the Ephesians about filling of the Holy Spirit. And this is in Ephesians three sixteen through 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. And again, in Ephesians 5.18, Paul exhorts the Ephesian church to be filled with the Holy Spirit, where he says simply, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So if you think about this, how Paul is praying to the Ephesian church that we be filled with the Holy Spirit, it would certainly make it, make it seem that it must be that we are, can be filled to different levels with the Holy Spirit. And, with, and how, where are we? I don't know about you, but I want to get filled all the way up. So let's get on with it. Where, where's the filling station? How do we do this? I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you don't need to go anywhere or do anything to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It will happen to you when God and Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, find you living a holy and godly life. It's that simple. Living a holy and godly life will happen coincident with the filling of the Spirit. They're inseparable. They go together. They're the same. A.W. Tozer tells us that our founder, A.B. Simpson, used to say, being filled with the Spirit is as easy as breathing. You simply breathe out and breathe in. In other words, there's nothing you have to do. There isn't any way to be filled other than to be and live a holy and godly life. I want to give you some encouragement here. I want to give you a glimpse of what it would be like to be filled with the Spirit. In living a holy and godly life, you are putting the Lord Jesus Christ in the driver's seat, making him first and foremost in all things. You're working against or have already eliminated idols in your life. Because God is, you know that God is a jealous God and you don't want to test him. You're working on forgiving others over and over and over. And you're seeing your relationships improve and you feel you can manage them better. You're more kind, less critical, overlooking others' faults and desire to be humble. In living a holy and godly life, Lives, you are reading and studying the Word of God. You uh, remember that the Word of God is penned by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You are inspired and motivated in the thoughts, in knowing the thoughts of God through His Word. In living a holy and godly lives, 
you are, by the power of the Holy Spirit, holding every thought captive, obedient, in obedience to Jesus. You are testing every spirit to see if it's from God. You catch yourself every time your thinking goes in the wrong direction, like anger, frustration, lust, malice, fear, aggression, all of those things that come into our minds. And the list goes on and is different for each person. In living a holy and godly life, you are able to truly see your nature the way the Holy Spirit sees your nature. And you're able to identify your sin easily. And you're making progress in that battle. You're bringing to mind the scriptures that you've memorized that gives you the assurance that you can defeat sin. You're beating it down. You're winning more battles than you're losing. And as you progress, you feel the joy of your salvation. You feel that Christ has set you free and from the bondage of sin, and you begin to feel the power of the Holy Spirit. In living a holy and godly life, you have become humble. You don't have to be stronger, smarter, better, or anything else. Um, you are becoming more and more like Jesus and are a servant to all. You will become, you will be more like Jesus and forgive over and over. And you are experiencing the utter relief of holiness. In the state of holiness and godliness, you have ridden yourself of yourself and are not putting yourself first, but rather you put others first. You're not so concerned about yourself, but your concern is for those around you. Maybe you've found that you can't do it on your own. Maybe you've found yourself in your struggle that you've come to the end of your rope You've, you're broken. You, you have nowhere to turn. And then you turn to God. And in your brokenness, you find that God has given you the way out. You have found that I have peace with God. That's how it works. In the state of holiness and godliness, you begin to feel that you know the Lord Jesus very well. Like you know his mind because you are becoming more and more like him. You feel the power and receive revelation from his Holy Spirit. During a time of being still and focusing on the God out of nowhere um, in your thinking and your mind seemingly just out of the blue, a revelation will pop into your mind, a thought of wisdom or possibly of a direction that you should go in in a small or great thing. It is then that your faith will increase according to God's will through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that gives you an idea of what the wondrous life that God has for you in living a holy and godly life. Yes, it can be a struggle. It's something we need to fight for. Uh, right now you have to believe you must want it, really want it. Enough so that it drives you to prayer and motivates you to go to battle. You must be patient and never give up because it's not going to happen overnight. But just believe and trust that Christ will carry you through to the day of completion. Finally, I say, go then. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Okay. Final conclusion. Just a couple minutes here and then I'll pray. 
God has a wonderful life planned for each of us to live, to be whole, complete, and at peace with him. We are made in his image to be like him in many ways. Through the promises of the Lord Jesus and the encouragement of the scriptures, we all have the tools we need to live holy and godly lives. Don't you want to pursue that life? There may be some with a stubborn sin problem or possibly under continuous attack by the evil one, needing more than what I presented here. Pastor Kevin has led the elders in a discussion of of the beginning of a program that would help people with those severe needs. Speaking to everyone now, don't lose heart. If you don't see progress soon, as soon as you'd like, be patient, be content, confident, and believe what Jesus said, that the work that was started in you, he will bring to completion. Don't allow yourself to feel despair. That will just be self-loathing, not good. Remember, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And also remember how wide and how long, high, and deep is the love of Christ and that you should love yourself as Jesus loves you and he will never leave you and never forsake you. Okay, I didn't break down here. I still can talk and I'm going to just give us a prayer at the end and then we'll bring Sam back up. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I know how you want me to live, to be holy and godly, to be spotless, blameless, and at peace with Christ. And in doing so, I will hasten the day of the Lord. I know I need to be to obey your teaching. I know I need to mortify my sin. I know I need to be on guard and test the spirits. I know I can't do this on my own. I believe you will help me to love you and to love others. Please, Lord Jesus, help me to always be confident in your promises and what you have accomplished for me. My sin is forgiven. I have been reconciled to God and I have the power to mortify my sin. I believe you are in me and will never leave me. I believe you and you and you will carry me to completion, the good work that you began in me. I know I need to take it, take your word in and study and memorize it, and that um, I need to seek you and cultivate my relationship with you. Then I will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I will be whole. The Holy Spirit will guide me and sanctify me. I yearn to feel more of the joy of my salvation. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Help me keep all this in the front of my thoughts of doubt. I want you to dominate my mind. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray.